You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy Wall Muslim Podcast. This is Uzma Jafri. Zeba got called away at the last minute at a really important meeting that she had to attend for the community. So, of course, she's always in service. Alhamdulillah, I'm really proud of her. And hopefully, if she gets done early, she may log on and surprise us. I'm excited if that happens. But if it doesn't, I wanted to discuss uh, my week with adolescence and the roller coaster that is adolescence, certainly for the children, but also for the moms. And I think I bit my tongue until it bled like three times. And I had every single inclination to regress and repeat the mistakes of other generations before me that would have set the adolescence straight, quote unquote. However, I did drink the blood and I sucked it up And I rode the roller coaster because once you're on it, you can't get off. We cannot return to sender with these kids, no matter how ugly they are, because guess what? When they do hit this adolescent period, I am finding more and more that a bad day is followed sometimes within minutes, sometimes within a day, and sometimes within days with a completely different child. Um, Same person, but uh, it's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation. And that is just the way it's supposed to be. It always was. Maybe we weren't like that because we weren't allowed to be like that. And I'm not sure yet if it's okay or not to continue uh, monitoring this, watching it and not intervening. I'm doing my best, like from a medical perspective, to make sure I'm looking for those warning signs. But other than that, I need expert moms who have gone through this and can tell me um, that there is light at the end of the tunnel like Zabel always does. But I'm just trying to survive and continue riding the roller coaster and keep my hijab on. So that's that. Um, the soapbox for today, we're going to jump right into that, is the Omicron. Joe and I were discussing how to pronounce this prior to recording, but we're going to go with the Omicron uh, pronunciation. And I'm going to pull from a source because if you go to Uzma's World, Dr. Uzma Sayed, infectious disease specialist um, on the East Coast, is quoted in this particular article that you'll be able to find in our show notes. Uh, but basically, this is talking about uh, the Omicron and an expected uh, peak in COVID infections that we're going to see because our Pfizer vaccines are not as effective anymore because we're six months past our vaccinations or our second vaccinations. And some hospitals, actually a lot of hospitals in the country are already seeing up to um, what's leading to 100,000 new cases of COVID every day in the United States. So we're going to hit the million mark pretty soon in terms of um, people that have died. We've already had uh, 800,000 people. So it's not been a lot of fun. Check the cdc.gov for your area to see what level alert you're at. Remember that we are now approaching two weeks post Thanksgiving. So in all likelihood, those numbers will be up and we pray that everybody is safe. In the meantime, this Omicron has been discovered or named and studied and we're afraid of it. 
while it seems more infectious than the Delta variant that we were worried about around the same time last year, it doesn't seem to cause any more severe of a disease. However, for anybody who's had the bad version of COVID, you know that you don't mess around with that. So it's really, really important for everybody to get vaccinated because if you are vaccinated, you're going to be less ill. Sadly, um, only when it comes to vaccination rates, while we did catch up with some parts of the developed world, we're still behind in the United States. And when it comes to boostering, only 25% of the U.S. population has so far gotten their boosters. So it is really important. I know that Zeba and I have talked about our experiences being boosted, and yes, I had to walk around with frozen peas under my arm for a couple of days, but I would so much prefer that than to not be able to walk around at all because I was infected with COVID. So that is our soapbox for today. Go ahead and get your vaccines and get your boosters if you are eligible. And let's start nipping this thing in the bud and make it seasonal like the flu is now. So we continue our December's Muslim Foster and Adoption series today, specifically talking about domestic fostering. Check out our episode about international fostering if you're interested in assisting unaccompanied refugee minors, which is a really hot topic right now. That's from two weeks ago with um, Rania Shbib. So we want to address today what are some reasons why we haven't stepped up to adopt, uh, uh, I'm sorry, to foster or adopt. Some examples are, I still have kids in my home, or I'm not strong enough, particularly when it comes to fostering. I'm not strong enough to let a child go after I've loved them. Again, with fostering, my heart would break too much. And with both adoption and fostering, what if I don't fulfill the rights of the child? So to talk to us today specifically about domestic fostering and addressing some of these questions is Aisha Mashud. She answered our call for foster moms on the front lines and her story um, and stories about it are really moving and really exemplify the kind of resilience that all moms have, but especially moms who are fostering and um, considering adoption to complete their families. So welcome, Aisha. We're so happy to have you. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me. So we usually kick off by asking uh, our guest moms to tell us a little bit about their momming story, how they became moms, whatever they're comfortable sharing, and then their momming philosophy. So um, I'm originally from the Chicagoland area. I live in Orlando now. Um, and um, the way we became parents was um, my husband and I is um, through adoption. Um, I am type 1 diabetic. Um, that actually happened six years ago. And it was a sudden onset. So developing it so late in my life, it would be an extremely high-risk pregnancy for myself as well as a child. So my husband and I decided we could still be parents, but let's just go through an adoption route. Um, we explored uh, domestic adoption first. Um, we had our home study done. We had a profile booklet done. Um, we were signed up with a bunch of different agencies, but in our booklet, I wear a hijab, my husband has a beard, so we were getting passed over because we were Muslim. Um, we've tried international adoption, but we're both, um, we're not the same culture. He's from Bangladesh, I'm from India. And we can't adopt from each other's countries, nor can we adopt from other Muslim countries um, or other uh, countries overseas um, because of our cultures. Um, even though we weren't born, they were born here in America and Canada, but just because we're nationals, we couldn't do it. 
Um, and um, so we started, we came back to uh, domestic um, adoption and we actually went through a private adoption. Um, we went through an Islamic organization. There was a lady who said that, um, there was a woman who said that she had uh, twin girls who she could not take care of any longer because she was going, uh, she was getting extremely sick and um, we were communicating through text message and she wanted to have, um, we had phone calls too, but she wanted us to um, adopt her twin girls. So we had even planned this trip to actually go and finalize the adoption. And I got messages from her saying that she's extremely sick, she's in the hospital now. So we hurried up and got to um, Pennsylvania. And then I got a text from her phone from her mother saying that she had passed away, but she put us in her will. So it was just like this big cycle and circle that like she was looping us in um, for us to find out that all was fake. Oh my gosh. So, but alhamdulillah in that, um, we actually gave no money and we had hired a lawyer and she said, that's a big red flag because usually if you're doing a private adoption, money is one of the first things. But it turned out that she was doing it for an emotional scam. She was trying to get back at her community over there. Um, I don't, but yeah, alhamdulillah, it didn't, it didn't work out. But what we did in the meantime is because we were going for twins, we had set up our house, um, for two kids, two, two little ones. Um, and um, in that, we got two crib or two toddler beds because the age she told us was like 11 months, 10, 11 months. So we got two toddler beds, uh, two car seats, like like older, like infant car seats as opposed to a newborn one, um, high chairs. Like we baby proofed our house for two girls because that's what she had told us. Um, but while we were going through this whole thing with her, we had said, okay, she's sick. If she gets better, would we give her kids back to her? And um, we both agreed that it's her right, you know, and it's the kids' rights. You know, yes, we should. So we, at that time, we did consider what if we fostered, because that's exactly what fostering is. Mm-hmm. Um, but when all that just didn't work out, we came back, and on Eid, I got a phone call from Chicago, because my number is in this uh, database for um, adoption, Muslim parents that are um, fully licensed to adopt. And um, they said at this moment, there is a family who has uh, three kids that were put into foster care. Basically, the father lost his cool, beat up the mother in front of the kids, and the kids were taken away from protective services. Usually within the 24 hours of how the parents react is how you can tell, was it really kind of like a like a freak accident? Like, you know, just seriously, they lost their cool, they just need a little bit of help managing that anger, or is it something that's more long-term? Alhamdulillah, in this case, it was something the father just lost his cool. Um, he was very apologetic, and they just were monitored for, I want to say, six months. And they closed their case. They literally just seriously stamped it, saying it was just an accident. Um, but in that, again, my husband and I thought, why are we not fostering? So we decided to go to the classes, the um, over here we call it pride classes it's foster care training mm-hmm. and what that is really dependent on or they focus a lot on is uh, trauma trauma for kids um, and it, we finished it actually in uh, a four week course because it was, a, it was an expedited class because in our area at least um, the need for foster parents is extremely high um, and I'm sure that's what it is um, nationwide now we've been fostering for four years we've been four years into this now so that was four years ago and um, we finished the class. 
the, the day I got the email saying, here's your certification, you guys are licensed, was the same email that said, by the way, you have your first placement. Wow. So we were trying to adopt for three years, but alhamdulillah, within two months, we did the foster care classes and um, got licensed and we had our first placement. Um, but they were two boys. Um, and all I did was I grabbed all the stuff that was like pink and purple and, you know, whatever, butterflies and all that. And I went to Walmart. That's where I bought it from. It's my store. And I told, I told the manager, I'm like, look, I bought this months ago. And this is what had happened to me. But now we're getting boys. Can I just exchange it? He said, no questions asked. Uh-huh. Just swap it out. And, um, you know, just come back here. We'll, you know, just walk you out of the door. Nice. So it was such an easy switch for me, alhamdulillah. Um, so after we got that email in, I think, I want to say five days, but within the week, within the week, the boys were in our home. Wonderful. Um, yeah, no, no, no. And he act, um, we had two boys with us. Uh, they're siblings. But they had gone through so much trauma. That, um, the older one was two and a half, and the younger one was 15 months old. And um, they were the youngest of four kids. But, like, alhamdulillah, like, what we see, you know, we take for granted. And what they see, what they saw as normal with adults, for us, it's like, that's what causes you to be removed. Um, And it just so happened that they were exhibiting some aggressive behavior with each other. So the older one just, uh, you had to put a safety plan in. And at that time, you had a two-bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. Um, so we could only keep one child in one room. That was according to their safety plan then. Mm-hmm. So they moved the older they moved the older child into another um, uh, another foster home, and he did great. He he actually he needed that individual attention, and the younger one with us, you know, he needed they they just needed individual attention, and they were thriving. They did good. Mm-hmm. Then um, the case is going on. Parents are given a case plan to work on. Um, so I can't really go into what right. was going on with the parents and that, but they were you know they were doing their stuff. We were doing our things like taking care of the little boy um, and that was in January then in March I had gotten a phone call from an adoption agency in Florida which was I want to say two minutes the hospital was two minutes from my uncle's house saying that there's a Muslim lady who gave birth she's unable to keep the child you're so close can you do this uh, can you adopt this child as much as we wanted to financially unfortunately with adoption straight adoption there's a financial aspect to it. We just couldn't do it. Um, so I put a, a message up on Facebook, um, like the Muslim foster uh, adoptive mothers group, saying, is there somebody who's financially ready right now to come down to Florida and adopt this child? Uh, out of like 200 messages, only four or five were fully licensed. Wow. Everybody else is like, oh, if nobody takes a child, like, come on, who do you think is not going to want to take a baby? You know, like, so of the four or five, only one was licensed and financially able mm. and um, I linked her with the, with the adoption agency and, the, and we talked and they talked and the next message I got from her was I'm in Florida here's a picture of my son and you know I'm the like work for her but I I kid you not literally the next day after I got that message from her I got a call from our foster agency saying that there is a child a newborn newborn child who we need a placement for and this is most likely going to go for um, adoption. So would you be interested? And when you adopt through foster care, there is no cost. 
Oh, alhamdulillah. So I said, absolutely. For those people who don't know what those costs are and they're worried about, wait a minute, are you like talking about buying a baby? Can you describe a little bit about what those costs cover? Sure. No, I, I apologize. Yeah, no. So it's not, it's, yeah, I, I could see how that comes off as like, okay, I'm buying that. But it, that's not what it is. Because you're going through an agency. So these agencies, they have agency costs, right? Like building costs and this and that, whatever. But these are social workers. This is what they're doing for their livelihood. Kind of like a nurse, kind of like a caseworker. So this is kind of going into um, paying their costs uh, for their services, for their assistance. Do some of them do it for free or low cost? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, this is their job, uh, helping these um, individuals. Um, Not only that, when it comes to adoption, it's a legal thing. It's a... you know, you have to go through paperwork, you have to go through court, you have court to go fees through and stuff, yeah. uh, documents, you have to go through a whole bunch of, of um, um, benchmarks, I guess you can call it. Like, and it doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, adoption can go, um, once you sign, once you um, match, they call it matching with the birth mother. Once you match, it can go anywhere from like six months to all the way till like 12 months because of just the state that you're in. Right. Um, and different states have different costs. Okay. And again, that's based on their court fees. I understand. Um, and same thing with their documents, because you have to get the documents notarized, you have to get them finalized with the courts. Um, and then there's somebody sitting on the other end of the documents, writing the documents, filing it. So it's all those costs that add up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what it also is that these agencies um, assist the birth mother in recovering. So I'm not saying you're paying the mother or anything, but what you're doing is like like a hospital cost. Like insurance only covers so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it's kind of like you helping out the birth mother get back on track, as well as hospital costs for the child. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So going back to uh, what you were talking about in terms of the newborn that you got the call about that needed so, um, fostering for potential to adopt. Yeah, so he was um, he was born. Uh, I want to say he was born seven and a half months, so he was he was premature. Um, but um, he was healthy. He was still healthy, but he was born premature. He had a few things going on with him, but um, he was in the hospital for an extended two weeks after birth, which is not that bad, I guess, compared to what it could have been. Um, but he was instantly removed from his family because of the conditions of um, conditions for removal, they call it. So the reasons why he was removed from his birth family were reasons that they actually couldn't really have him immediately after birth even. Um, however, once um, the mother was back feeling a little bit better and he was uh, a little bit older too, they did start having visits. Um, and that's the thing with fostering. Um, where you said one of the concerns is, I'm going to get too attached. How do I let go? You just have to just say, like, I would be and just do it because this is the right that the mother has over the child and the child has over the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have the right to see each other. They have the right to know each other. Okay. So, um, um, so my older one, uh, he was going for visits as well, but, the, but leaving a baby in a visitation center and then just leaving. Uh, my dad would actually drop him off, and I would pick him up after work. Um, and I would be there. My dad is still sitting in the, in the car, and I'm like, you need to go because technically you're not supposed to be around. You're right. supposed to be there time. And it's supervised, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's okay. I mean, somebody's going to be there. Um, but, again, like, the, the parents had sporadic visits. Sometimes they would come, sometimes they wouldn't. But they were not changing their views. 
um, or their values, I should say. Um, and uh, it just so happened that the court decided that they went we to trial, and um, the court, they call it TPR, where you terminate the parental rights um, for the younger one, the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we took custody of him, we were told it's going to be an expedited termination of parental rights, expedited adoption. We, from the day that he was placed with us to the day we finalized his adoption was 364 days. Wow. We were one or two days shy. And of that's the day expedited. He was and that's expedited. Wow. That is expedited. Wow. Because what happens in that time is that the parents still get, they, they still have that time to, you know, make amends, you know, see what you can to do. Remediate. You know, the court still tries to help them. Yeah. And then um, they review um, potential family members. Mm-hmm. Or if there's, if the child has siblings, is there somebody who's going to take in all the siblings? In our case, so the, the, the young one, we named Ayub. So I can say his name. His name was Ayub. Um, we named, we changed his name to Ayub. Um, he, he has two older brothers. And while we were foster, we were still technically fostering, the parents' rights were terminated, his cousin stepped forward and said, I will take care of all three kids. I'll take all three kids in. So it's like, okay, that's a perfect situation. It's a family member, and then you to take all the siblings. Unfortunately, we could not take his siblings because they were a lot older, and they and there's nothing wrong with taking an older kids. If you can handle it, go ahead and do it. I just could not because um, we had we, we I don't know we had moved into a house at that time, but we did not have the resources for these children. Mm-hmm. So just because we were going to take them in, we didn't want to do it injustice. Like I think the last point was, am I going to do? Am I going to fulfill the rights of this child? We knew we could not do that for the older two. Um, they had a few um, behavioral issues. They had a few um, medical conditions that we were just not trained in. And um, if for us to start getting trained in it, it was too late for us to start getting trained in because they needed to be in a home like yesterday. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So we, you know, we unfortunately couldn't take the older two, but uh, the younger one were like, "Can you please, you know, like if you, you know, if you guys make this exception, they don't even know who he is, and they don't, he doesn't know who they are. We will keep that line of communication open. But you know, yes, we do want to raise this child. Um, the court agreed, and um, what happened is actually that cousin, something happened to with her husband's background. Something happened where they could not, they didn't clear. Mm-hmm. So then they they started continuing with the adoption for Ayub with us. Mm-hmm. And Alhamdulillah, we finished the adoption, finalized it. You know, we had Zakiha before that and everything. Um, and he had, then by then he had turned one. And yeah, it was it was a roller coaster. But honestly, this, it was a very mild roller coaster compared to what we are um, going through with with uh, another child, the older one. Um, I can't disclose all that right now because we're still going through all of it. And we'll it. wait on going but, into um, that while we kind of, yeah. you know, kind of summarize how you got here and, you know, you started your motherhood journey, even with your older one, who you got at 15 months. So that's beautiful. And then in the meantime, while you're, you know, dealing with his situation and helping other people complete their families, that was amazing. Yeah. Then, you know, your family gets completed. You know, with a you. Yeah, we did foster in between. No, yeah, we did foster in between too, and then we actually um, they call it reuniting when the, the children go back to the parents. Mm-hmm. So we did, we we, we did, we, we reunited um, two kids actually with their with their bio family, and um, or at least it was interesting actually with the father because the father was very um, 
like he, he just he just wanted the kids back mm-hmm. and he really turned his life around and he I'm very happy for him yeah. that he got his kids back and um he helped with that um with two two kids and do you get attached oh you do mm-hmm. and like do you worry about them do you think about them you do but when you have that um line of communication open with the bio family mm-hmm. and they message you or you know facebook or like whatever like they let you know how the kids are doing it's a reassurance yeah really and so um with those kids that went uh that were uh rehomed with their families of origin do you continue to yeah there's facebook messages and dms and emails but do you continue to have like an ongoing relationship with them now that they're back with their biological parents the first few months yes then no because if they have because the kids that we had were under the age of five so um after a while after they got accustomed to living with their family and their siblings and just moving on why should we keep you know like you know we don't we don't want to say we're meddling or whatever but like we didn't want to keep confusing the kids as in like well who's this family oh, then okay. you know oh yeah like oh i remember going to Chuck E. cheese with them or i remember going to disney with them or you know what have you you know like i remember you know like we don't want we want them we we gave them memories we gave them happiness we did what we could when they were with us yeah but to keep reminding them of something that they may or may not be able to do again. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they wouldn't do it, but just we, we, we decided that it would be best to kind of back off. But in the beginning, because they were with us night and day for a good few number of months, um, we um, wanted to keep in touch to help with questions or answers the parents might have. And the because transition. Because one of the kids, like he was, exactly, basically, yeah, definitely for transition. Because one of the questions, um, we got was the the mother or stepmother or whatever she called us and she's like what is um bear juice and we're like what are you talking about bear juice and they're like he said he wants bear juice with his pancakes we're like oh it's honey oh you know like so like <laughs> little things like that you know yeah. like, that, that, that you know you don't like even like we were used to it but then we forgot that it was something odd you know what i yeah. mean so we kept that line of communication open okay so it really like when you're going into fostering you have to go in knowing and accepting that the goal is always going to be to send the kids back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always going to be to send the kids back. And um, you have to be open to the idea of helping the family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, if anything, think of it as like, that will work then, you know. But um, it's, you really, really have to go into it with an open mind, open heart. Yeah. Um, my point in mentioning Ayub's story is to say that, like, have yakin and have tawakal, have, have faith that if you're making dua, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, people who hear like, well, you adopted a newborn out of foster care, that's really rare. And I'm like, we made dua for this, you know, yeah. like, just keep making dua. And I, um, I, I just, I really think like, keep doing, making dua, keep doing as many good deeds as you can. Remember those good deeds, call upon those good deeds. Inshallah, Allah will reward you for it. Inshallah. At a time and a way that you wouldn't even expect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's always like left field and subhanAllah, it's better than what you could have asked for or imagined for yourself always. I've That's been my experience. So that's, I think that sums up kind of your momming philosophy from uh, the way we talked uh, before in organizing this particular recording where your tawakkal, your um, like steadfast belief in Allah is so strong, mashallah. That's the only way that you could have gone through this roller coaster ride of both fostering and adoption. And so, since we've talked about you know continuing 
uh, or keeping the kids in order to get them back into safe placement with their parents and then helping them with the transition and then stepping back as mature adults, knowing that any other relationship that we pursued would be for us. It wouldn't really benefit the kid. Um, so there's no uh, benefit in continuing. You could the relationship and um, acknowledging, you know, who's who for the children. But when it comes to Ayub in particular, um, does he or do you, um, on his behalf, still maintain contact with his family of origin, or, you know, how is that working with his Islamic rights and, you know, with the, with the what you could do in the United States. Okay, so I'm going to answer that last question, what you could do in the United States. Um, when you adopt, when you adopt through foster care, um, it, 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 depending on the severity of the reasons uh, for removal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for Ayub, the reasons for removal were pretty severe. Mm-hmm. And um, once the adoption happened, it's what you call a closed adoption, oh. meaning there's no communication with the, fam- with the parents. Okay. So the parents are not to know about Ayub. His real name is actually his, the birth name that he was given um, is his middle okay. name. But we were we for his safety and missing um, for his safety. Uh, we were advised to change his name and um, change like social security number, everything. Like they had to change everything oh, for him. Okay. So um, that, that, I guess that's kind of like an extreme situation. But I mean. If, most people are going to end up um, changing their their name, and they are going to tell you to change their social security number too. Um, so legally, in the U.S., you're not supposed to be in contact with the foster parents, uh, you know, with the adoptive uh, biological parents. However, if you're fostering from the same city and neighborhood, even even from the same neighborhood, if you run into them, you run into them. But the rights were terminated for a reason, for the safety of the mm-hmm. child. So it's in the best interest of the child for them not to see their bio um, parents. When it comes to siblings, um, his brothers have my phone number and my husband's phone number and our email addresses. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be very transparent, honest. Um, nobody has reached out to us. Uh, they have not reached out to us. Um, but I, like I said, I kept that line open and I have requested the information of whoever um, adopts them. To let me know. Okay. Um, also, another full disclosure. Um, I do know that they have not been adopted yet, um, and that is also another thing I'm saying that like, yes, it's cool to adopt. Not cool, but like I know everybody wants to adopt a younger child and you know this and that. But there are older kids that do need homes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and these kids. I mean, a youth adoption has been finalized for three years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these kids have been available to be adopted for three years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's so. for his safety, you're not still in contact, but the Islamic tenant remains that he sh- he does have the right to know who his family is, and you have that contact information, and they have yours, so you've kept that line open and fulfilled that tenant. Yep. So I think that that's really yep. important. Uh, we have we have his birth certificate, um, and when you adopt uh, a child, they give you the non-disclosure document. Mm-hmm. So it has the parent's full um, information, whatever phone number they had at that time, medical, all, all that stuff is there. Yeah. Um, as much as genealogy, I think that's what it's called, as they can give you. So we do have all that. Okay. So whenever he's ready, I, I'll be honest, I really couldn't read all of it because I just it's a lot. started panicking yeah. right reading it. Yeah. My husband read it all and he's like, okay, it's all, because we needed somebody to read it to make sure everything's all there. 
but yeah, he read through it and he's like, it's, it's all there. Whenever he's matured, he's ready. He can, he, he can he, access he can. it. And you're not going to, you're going to keep it yeah. transparent just like we, we are supposed to do, um, in Islam, which mm-hmm. is awesome. So, you yeah. know, you it's are in this, book. we have our adoption. Day. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, you know, like everyone makes like a baby book, an album, you know, whatever. So we have that on there. Like our, what, the picture that we took in court with him, mm-hmm. with the judge. Yeah, it says on there the day I was adopted. Yeah, I think so. I've seen that picture. It's really cute, Michelle. I think um, I don't know if it was on one of your socials, but uh, you are in this. It sounds like a supportive group on Facebook with the Muslim foster care and adoptive moms. But um, in terms of your immediate family and community, what was their response to you stepping into domestic fostering? What did that look like? Extremely supportive. Um, so my, when we went to, um, Pennsylvania for that adoption, mm-hmm. my parents came with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My parents were there with us. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, and, and we really needed them there knowing that it was going to be a, a scam. But, um, and then when we started fostering, um, here, when we were, went to the classes and then, um, when the, when, you know, when the kids came to, when we got our first place, my parents were at our house when, when they came, mm-hmm. they decorated, they bought gifts for them. Um, it's just a title. Fostering, foster, adopted, those are just titles. Um, like they, they see absolutely not, no distinction whatsoever. Um, not just my parents, my siblings. Uh, my brother has two kids that are around the same age as the kids that you know, we have, and they're just together. Like, it's nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. Um, same thing, they, we've, we've taken the kids to family weddings, and they're just kids. Yeah. It's nothing. They're kids. Really nothing. And like our community, I mean, Okay, so the kids, the, the kids that we have, they're of different culture, so they look a little different. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the community, they see us, and I'm sure they have internal questions, but they don't ask. They're, they're, just, treated the, they're just treated the same way. I'm kind of proud of your and community what, that they don't ask stupid questions. It, I, honestly, the only question I think, um, so one of the kids that we have, he's Italian origin, let's say that, okay? So, and we're not, we're... <laughs> South Asia. Yes. So, you know, there's there's that definite, like, what's going on here? Uh-huh. And we went for um, Eat Prayer and um, the convention center. I think that's because it, it doesn't happen often. That's why I remember it. This auntie came to us and she's like, who is this? And I'm like, oh, it's my, it's my son. And she's like, where did you get his outfit? How did he, how did he fit into that? And this and that. I'm like, oh, my you know, relative sent it from India. And, all and she just kept staring at him. You could tell she had questions in her mind, and I said, Auntie, you know, we're, we're adopting. And she's like, oh, okay, okay, mashallah. Oh, okay. So I think that answered that question. But I think she was like, where, why are you guys bringing random kids? Yeah. But honestly, my uh, my brother's wife is German. Um, uh, my uh, my whole family is very multinational, so mm-hmm. culture is just culture. Culture doesn't really, doesn't really matter when it comes to the kids. So, yeah. And your community, well, it sounds yeah. like, isn't a stupid community. Um, and is no, they're accepting. Yeah, and the thing is, is that being a foster parent is not the same as being a parent. And I'm not uh, trying to like to my horror anything, but because we deal with um, case managers, therapists, court dates, judge rulings, um, there's a lot that goes into fostering besides the regular like doctor's appointments, you know, school events, and you know, like. Oh, he's sick. If he's sick, you gotta tell the caseworker. You gotta make sure the parents know. You gotta make sure the guardian ad litem knows. You gotta make sure you have a written document why he's sick and it's uploaded into the court files. If he's taking Tylenol, they need to know if he's taking Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Like it's it can it, it's a lot. Like 
Um, if he gets hurt, if he gets a scratch, you have to make sure you have a report as to why he got hurt, why he got a bruise, you know, so you're not accused. Wow. Um, so uh, my, my family is very supportive in understanding the fact that we have to really keep these kids in a bubble, you know, like, and you should anyways for kids, but I'm just saying kids are kids. They're going to go on a slide. They're going to bump their knee, you know, or whatever. But if it happens to a child you're fostering, you need to have a reason and you have to have written proof as to why it happened. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I'm just saying that you have to be a little bit more on your guard. Yeah. Because if somebody was babysitting or watching your kids and your child came back to you with a bruise or something, wouldn't you want to know what happened? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, you do have to be a little bit more alert. So in that, um, like our friends and family, like when it comes to our family, you know, like, yeah, they got that under wraps. But like when we go to our friend's house and we're a little bit more paranoid and we're running around the kids a little bit more, they know now why it's like, okay, well, because they have to have. There's a lot of accountability you know, here. Yeah. Yeah, Correct. absolutely. So when it comes to fostering, um, especially domestic fostering here in the United States, you're a Muslim family. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate um, another faith? Like if you get a child of another faith, what do you do with and for them? Um, well, we, we carry on as being Muslims, first of all. Like, you know, like um, we still pray in Jamaat as much as we can. We have, um, like on the wall, we have like the elder letters. So because I, uh, I use that the age where he's learning, you know, to, to read, mm-hmm. uh, to read Arabic or read the Quran. So like he's, um, he's learning. So we're not going to stop his learning right. surahs and, you know, Islamic studies and all that. And if the other children catch on, they catch on. It's not like I'm making them sit there and be like, you need to do this. Right. Like, no, if they catch on, they catch on. Mm-hmm. Are they reciting? Maybe they are. I'm not going to say they're not, but like, you know, but like, it, it, it's, it's, but they hear it. But in terms of um, complying with their religion and their holidays, um, we ask the bio parents or the caseworker, what is it that the parents want for the children? Mm-hmm. Um, so far, we haven't had any requests, like not even for like, oh, you know, the parents want to take them for like Easter services or uh, Christmas morning or something, you know, nothing. It hasn't been anything, nothing really. Um, did we on our own do it? Yes, we did. Um, just to show that like, Yes, we are inclusive, like, you know, we're trying, but we did that more for a sibling gathering as opposed to like, okay, here, this is a religious thing, you know, like, because um, the siblings were getting together and exchanging presents um, um, or they were taking pictures with like the, like the Easter egg hunt or something, you know, whatever, but it was more kind of like a recreational activity and for him to, for them to be with their siblings as opposed to, you know, whatever, but, you know, like, and they're so young, they're not really going to grasp all that, like, religiously, too. It's the fun but, stuff that they'll remember. But, you know, you, as an adult, in charge of them, um, even if it's temporarily, are making sure that they still have access to all of the things that they would, were, were they with their parents, in terms of, like, religious services, religious social services, whatever that looks like. Yeah, and we kept that line open. We asked, what is it that you want us to do? Or what is it that you need to know? And we got no reply so we're like okay i guess everything's fair game (laughs) yeah so i know people are gonna uh i feel like there's kind of a cliffhanger but with your uh older son the 15 month old who came to you in in fostering what are you allowed to tell us about him and where are you in the process um all i could say just keep us near the was that it gets finalized the adoption gets finalized um, it's it's interesting you ask me now because we just 
are coming out of a lot of things. Like I can't really disclose it right now. And that's the other thing. When you want to go into fostering, there is so much confidentiality that goes into it that you really cannot say anything. Mm-hmm. You have to put yourself in that person's other person's position. It's hard to because inshallah, may have, may, none of us fall into that category ever. Tell me. But um, it's a it's such a I don't want to say gray area. It's a black and white thing. Like you just cannot do it. Yeah. Um, but inshallah, if I'm praying that and I'm hopeful, like I said, I have a lot of trust in Allah that he's going to make our du'as come true. Um, I would love to come back and tell you the whole story because I'll tell you this much. So something happened and um, we made so much du'a, like, you know, like, Allah, like, help us through this and give us some clarity and tell us, like, is this something we should keep pursuing? You know, like, it's like a sakara. Like, we did, we did a sakara, but then we also made du'a as well. Like, like, show us signs. Like, tell us, like, what can we do? Or should we keep doing? And we got off, like, our prayer rug, and we're walking, and we got all these messages pushing us towards, like, giving us, like, open doors were opening, let's say that. Or, you know, like, um, how to pursue this further. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, inshallah, may Allah make that path easy for you and complete your family. Amen. Do you have any intentions to continue fostering um, after, you know, this one next hurdle? So, inshallah, we do. Um, we are hoping that, inshallah, once, um, uh, you know, if, inshallah, adoption is finalized and everything, and then we go forward, um, we would like to keep continuing um, just because, and, like, I had, the, like, it was like deja vu when you said those um, concerns of fostering because it's so typical. Everybody goes through it, um, and everyone feels it. But I think the only way you're going to overcome all that is to actually just do it and find your way around um, coming, coming to a solution for those things. Um, do you get attached to a child? Yes, you do. And if you do, then you are parenting the right way because mm. you've learned to love a child, you know, and you've, they, you've given them an opportunity to learn how to love back. Right. So if you are feeling that hurt, then know that you did something right. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that we have to remember that we are adults. We can kind of get over it. Uh, you just keep praying for that person. And you have to remember what Qadr is. And if that child does go back, um, that, that is what was written for that child. They were in your life for a reason. You were in their life for a reason. You have to have full faith that this is Allah's plan to have them back. Um, and for us, we want to, the reason why we want to continue is, there are there are parents that like they seriously just need that extra help, mm-hmm. um, and especially or at least in our community because we, we're 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 in Florida and um, people are here without families right without that extra help. But when a child gets taken into foster care, what happens is that they put them into like an immediate home just because they need to be away from the parents. Mm-hmm. But they do try to find family members. Is it always successful? Not always. Um, or the family members are out of state and then they have to go through this thing called ICPC and the two states have to talk and then they get the child there and by that it's already like four months and you know so on and so forth so it, it, it's, it's a long and extended process yeah. so we want to you know we did we do still want to be that resource to help people and we also want to stay foster uh, licensed because unfortunately or whatever like most of kids do come to the foster care yeah um, and I was actually contacted for a child that came into foster care in our area. Unfortunately, I could not take that child because at that time I was actually teaching 
in that school the child goes to. So it would be a safety concern for me, they said, because of what the father had gone through. Oh, I see. Uh, what, had, what had happened, the reasons for removal, it was a safety concern for me, and it, it, the father would have known what the child is, but what, are, what have you. So that's why the child couldn't come back to us mm-hmm. or come to us at that time. Yeah. But we want to stay that open door for Muslim families if that ever does happen. I think that's a beautiful contribution that you're making to, you know, your entire community, your interfaith community being available to all of these children and all of these families because there are mom sisters that just need that extra support, get their acts together, and then come back and pick up and and know that their um, rights to their children haven't been severed. And I think it's beautiful that you're making that contribution. Um, as a foster mom, what kind of support do you need from those of us who aren't in the fostering community? What can we do to make your life easier? Or how can we help and you know, without having to go, I know, like, if we like were to babysit for your foster child, we would have to go through some state um, clearances as well. What else can we do outside of that? Um, I would say take a, and I use that word loosely, class on what is trauma, child-based trauma. Um, because when a child is removed from their parent. That's a huge trauma they're going through, no matter what their relationship with their family is, right. no matter what their situation is. Um, it could be as sour as can be, but it is still a trauma for that child to be removed. And then if they, uh, I mean, or if they are attached, that's even a bigger trauma. Um, so learn what child-based trauma is and learn what triggers are. Um, there are so many triggers, even for adults, right? Like, um, there are times like when I, when I, um, when I hear something, like if I'm walking or I, or I see a gesture that somebody makes and it reminds me of somebody or something, and it just kind of like takes you back a little like, oh man, I wonder how he's doing, I wonder how she's doing. But then it's like, no, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allah is taking care of them, Allah has a plan for them. Yeah. So learn what triggers are not only for myself, but what triggers can be for kids. Yeah. Uh, a simple like TV show like Paw Patrol, for example, you know, like maybe that's something that they used to watch with their family or, or and, and uh, you know, so you want to kind of like either see is that a good trigger or a bad one? Because if it's something that they're missing their family, just find a different show to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of learn like how can we get around that? But I mean, main thing I'm pretty sure like um, it's going to be said through all these podcasts: get licensed. Get licensed. <laughs> you know, like get join the licensed. team. Basically, <laughs> go through that process. Go through that process and do it because it does not happen. Alhamdulillah, we're lucky, not lucky, we're fortunate and blessed that we got it done in two months, mm-hmm. but that was expedited. We got it done in two months. Right, right. Um, so just because a child comes into care and you want to take care of that child, if you're not licensed, guess what? It's not happening for three to four months easily. Okay. Especially if you have moved from state to state to state, you have to get your background checked in state to state to state. Oh, wow. So depending on how long those take, so... Definitely. Um, cause I lived in Canada for a little while, mm-hmm. and then um, I lived in another state, and now we're uh, where we are now. But like, it they have to do background checks in all those areas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So definitely get your just get licensed. If you're not ready to take in a child, then okay, say I can't. I'm not ready yet. Yeah, you can always say no. Nobody's gonna make you take a kid because they want you um, invested in that child as well. So all of this was. Yeah really helpful and informative. And certainly your story is um, not only moving, but inspirational. So thank you again for what you do. We have a lighter segment that typically Zeba conducts, but I'm going to do it this time and I'm going to try to do it right. It is called the rapid fire. I don't know if you're familiar with this um, segment that we do, 
But basically, we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock, and you're going to answer with the first answer that comes up in your head. And there's nothing right or wrong. It's just literally whatever you feel. Um, And it's supposed to help the audience get to know you a little bit better and more personally. All right? You ready? This is supposed to be fun. A lot of people feel really pressured. But what are you reading right now? Like book-wise? Yeah. Um... Disney cookbook. Cookbooks? Wonderful. Is there a favorite that you have? Or you just peruse all of them? Um, uh, it's a Disney cookbook, so we're learning about desserts and the great stuff. Wonderful. So. Fabulous. Um, what was your first job? I was a cashier at Babies R Us. At Babies R Us. Oh, so you were just meant to be around babies. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> what's your hidden talent? Um... I can make balloon animals. You can make balloon animals? Like fancy ones, like a giraffe? Yeah. I've not done a giraffe, but we've done different animals, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Done like stores um, and hats and cats and dogs and elephants. You're like just fun for all kids' parties, for all kids. Um, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, who would they be and why? Um... Man, that's supposed to be a fast answer. Um, I would say one of my friends from Chicago, because she was like all over the place. Like she was running like everything. She always had a calm demeanor. Um, and I know she had like five kids too. And she had her own house. She had her own business. And now I know she's like a project manager. And I met up with her like literally for 10 minutes. I ran into her at the mall um, a few weeks ago. And she's but, still yeah, real she's, like, cool and everything. calm and collected. She's very comical because she just snaps her fingers and everything just happens around her. Sabato, okay. Sabato. She makes it look easy, probably. On the inside, it's always a different story. But, you know, I know we all want to be her, but it, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily possible for everybody. Last question. Um, what's your happy place? Honestly, I would say my house. Um, we have a very comfortable place. Um, like, I'm just, I, I love coming home. I love spending time at home. Um, and same thing with our kids. Like just, we just wanted to make our house a safe place, a calm place. It sounds like that's exactly what it is and what you're giving to these um, children and their families. And again, thank you so much for sharing your story. And we know that um, any challenges that you have, you're going to be able to face because it's really hard to meet somebody who has such strong taqwa because it makes you feel bad about yourself. Like, oh, I don't have as much trust in Allah as this person. What do I need to do um, to get closer? So help me out and give me like your top three tips on how to feel that closeness to Allah and that extreme. It feels like you're so connected to him and you just know that everything's going to work out. Well, just what you said, just know it will work out. Um, Know Know what it means to work out, I guess, you know, like. We, um, we took a bunch of classes on what is dua, um, what is tawakkal, what is qadr. And when, um, like how the answer to dua is, is, is up three, right? Yes, or yes, but not now, or yes, but I have something better. Yes. So just know that when you, the fact that you can utter, you can say a dua, Allah is going to accept it. Right. Um, it's just a matter of in what way. And just because you want it a certain way, that doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. And um, for us, every time we see Ayub, we're like, he is such a big dua that we asked for, and he is such a blessing that, like, you know, did we ever think that we were going to adopt through foster care and adopt how we did? No. And where did we, we changed places. Like, he was actually in somebody else's um, 
care for a few days because we actually had another child with us who was going to be reunited. We said, wait, because you said, oh, you're only licensed for so much. Mm-hmm. And I picked him up at, at a nephrology appointment. He had a nephrologist appointment. We picked him up in the waiting room over there. So it wasn't like the typical, you go to the hospital and you pick them up. Like it was a sketchy part of the neighborhood and we like went over there and we picked him up, you know, signed documents and everything. But every time we look at him, we're like, you know, like and he, he is a blessing. Yeah. Like he, um, um, he, he uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, doctors predict like, you know, he's going to go through such and such developmental thing. Alhamdulillah, absolutely nothing. Alhamdulillah. And um, I, just, like, I just can't say that enough. Like, and Allah says, be thankful, be grateful, and I'll give you more. Mm-hmm. Really, really be thankful. Um, the fact that you could see, the fact that you can breathe, the fact that you could think about something or actually desire something, because there are people that don't want to have kids or they don't care about it, or they're going through, like, different ways. But the fact that you're trying to go down this path, take that as a blessing. Yeah. Um, just just uh, to stay faithful, it's... Like, like you're saying, like, it's hard for people to just completely let go, but that's what you have to do. You just really just have to let go. Yeah. And just say, okay, Allah's going to take care of it. I don't know how, I don't know when, but you just got to do it. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my footwork, right? Like, I'm going to do what I have to do with, if you need to get a lawyer, get a lawyer. If you need to um, uh, document as much as you need to, document what you need to. And, you know, you do what you can, then you put your trust in Allah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let go and, and let what, God. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, have people told us, like, oh, wow, I can't believe all this that you're doing. I would have given up. Okay, you would have given up, but I love these kids too much that I can't give up. Um, and that's what I'm saying. You get attached. That fear that you're going to get attached, you definitely will get attached. But how, how attached are you that you're willing to let them, you're willing to do what is best for that child, even if you don't understand it. But Allah understands it. Allah knows it. Yeah. So you just have to just say yeah absolutely and with that um we wish you you know only the best in in this world and the next and have a terrific weekend thank you so much and we look forward to good news inshallah coming from you soon inshallah like i said i mean i will definitely put that on the record because then everything will be cleared so inshallah definitely all right assalamualaikum aisha thanks so much Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.